This is Jim Duncan with Nest Realty and Sweat the Details. This week, Jonathan, Keith, and I talked with a longtime friend, Brad Nix, of Path and Post Real Estate, formerly of Retso. Y'all remember Retso, right? And now Offer Barn, which is seeking to keep agents at the forefront of the iBuyer evolution and how to solve the three things sellers are trying to solve, time, hassle, and price. We hope you find this conversation as interesting as we did. We're sitting here with uh, Jonathan Keith and Brad Nix. Um, Brad, uh, thanks for calling and making time for us. Uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing right now. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I, well, obviously, I'm a co-owner of Path & Post Real Estate. Uh, we're an independent team brokerage uh, here in North Atlanta. And, uh, you know, I help run and grow this company every day. Um, we've got a couple of side hustles. Um, one includes uh, my brother's CEO of a local craft brewery. So I've helped him start and grow that with some other guys. And uh, recently uh, did a tech startup in the real estate space called Offer Barn. So um, I'm pretty busy. I'm also married with a kid. So I, I, I spend my days trying to balance all of that. Sounds like fun. Yeah. So we met many years ago uh, when you were doing the Retso um, conference, in, you know, north of Atlanta, um, which you know it's been a, a long time since 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 those days. Um, what? So tell me about Offer Barn. What is what is what is that? Uh, Offer Barn really it's a it's a platform um, for agents to kind of be the centerpiece of the instant offer uh, movement that's happening in the industry. You know. We believe at Offer Barn that, that agents should be the center of this, and they need a platform to generate these leads, provide the instant offer service itself, and deliver analysis to the sellers. I don't know if you guys are in an iBuyer market, but we are here in Atlanta, which feels like ground zero. I know it's very uh, prevalent out in Phoenix as well, but all the national players are here in Atlanta. So we felt it um, you know, for a while now, and we developed a, a solution at Path and Post uh, to kind of help manage this process for our sellers. So, you know, what is an instant offer? Should I take it? Should I not? Is one better than the other? Because there's multiple companies that do it, and it's it's confusing. So, we just created Offer Barn to you know help solve that problem, basically. Hey, Brad, just wondering. I mean, obviously, this is still a pretty new uh, service that we're finding. And- you're you're absolutely right that there. This is in in some of the larger markets like Atlanta. It's booming. And it's, it's certainly becoming more prevalent, more buyers or more sellers rather are looking to it. What are the, you know, the idea of, of what at least, um, you know, Rich Barton is saying about the iBuyer process is that it's going to become, it's going to lower the friction in the, in the real estate transaction. What are you all seeing as the still remaining frictions that need to be removed? What is it that Offer Barnes, what, what are you all getting past? What's that barrier that you think is needing to be removed? Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, we need to realize what, what what's changed now for the consumer. Um, as an industry, you know, it's one thing to just react to other companies or react to tools and systems. But really what's changed for the consumer is they no longer, in an iBuyer market, let's say, begin their initial thoughts about selling a home by asking the question, what's my home worth? Historically, that's kind of been the starting point. Like, what is the value or estimated price for my home today? Well, within an instant mark, instant buyer enters the market, that home seller's question changes from what's my home worth to what can I get an offer for right now? And the difference is home value is like an estimated sales price before. And today, the offer not only sets a price floor, but it also solves for time and hassle should the seller want to skip 
what the industry would be known as the, you know, the traditional open market process. So this problem that sets up a situation for the seller to be confused on, on what the true cost of choosing one option over the other is. Should I list my home on the open market and get all of the available demand for it? Or should I settle for a limited few potential buyers? And how do I compare that in apples to apples comparison? So that's the problem that we're setting out to solve as agents. And, and our view is obviously as, as an agent and team owner myself is agents should be the centerpiece of this. And we should be able to go and collect all of these offers, compare them side by side for our client and present it next to, well, here's what it would be if you went on the open market and be in a position to say, seller, what is best for your situation? So with the with the I mean in Charlottesville we don't have the I buyer but we do have the I buyer is making making inroads in some of our other markets you know Charlotte's big Atlanta's big um, uh-huh. you know it, are you seeing more consumers are aware of the I buyer process and they're taking to it or are they is there trepidation or are they excited I mean what what is the buyer sort of the buyer response in these in these environments Yeah it's it's kind of all over uh, the map and those emotions that you you listed out there. Um, many sellers are aware of it and they click that button, so to speak. They visit iBuyers as step one before they even talk to an agent sometimes. So that happens where the agent is just bypassed often. Um, other situations is, you know, they talk to an agent um, unaware of instant offers and the agent should introduce it. It's like, well, given your situation where time is super important and not optimizing value in this investment, maybe you should consider these instant offers. So the agent's introducing it at other times. Um, sometimes it's even after, if the agent's unaware in the situation, so the seller's unaware and the agent's unaware, agent may list the home on the open market in a traditional sense. And then the seller becomes aware after they're already listed because they saw an ad, a billboard, a social media ad or something, because these iBuyers come in aggressive and promote heavily. So they become aware after they're on the market, like, wait, I didn't know that was an option three weeks ago when I listed my home. And then they go and click that button online to give me an offer. So now we've got Zillow or Open Door or OfferPad sending an offer to a listed home that the seller initiated to an agent who was unaware. So it's a real big um, confusion point for the industry. The agents need to ramp up their awareness as fast as possible, first of all. Otherwise, they're going to have this client like, well, you went and got an offer without me even knowing it was a possibility. It's, it's bad service, first and foremost. And and it's confusing for all parties. So we need to help address that, raise the awareness, educate around that, and then give them some solutions to solve it. Yeah, I, th- I think there's no question, Brad, if if, um, if buyers are, or if sellers rather are going to be seeking out these uh, iBuyer offers, you're <laughs> absolutely right. It needs to, the conversation needs to start with the agent before it's ever listed. Um, yep. And and honestly, it's the same within the luxury market if you're going to be going towards an auction at some point in the future. that. That's a conversation that needs to be had with, with the seller, yeah. and should be you know, the agent should be the consultant to all the solutions, not just a traditional listing. One hundred percent agree. Um, and if you don't do that, I don't think you're giving good service. You're not at least you're not providing strategic advice. And I think that's the biggest shift that's happening in our industry right now. Is historically, especially on the seller side, these uh listing agents are often just project managers. It's a big complex project to, to get a listing, get the disclosures, get the paperwork, the agreements, 
get the marketing plan, get it launched, manage the feedback, negotiate the contract, get it to close. It's like project management, basically, historically. Well, it, it's got to rise above project management level to really a, a strategic advisor role because there are so many more options available today. And in a world of options and complexity, like advice is the value. Brad, have you guys come up with, um, I'll call it like a truth in lending form, but something that does compare the offers that come in through the four national iBuyer offers? I mean, is, is there a way to, to really match apples and apples? Let me, hey, Brad, let me interrupt real quick. Real quick. Mm-hmm. When you through your process, do you say go to Zillow or go to Open Door or do you, or you just send them out and say, hey, get all four or five or 12 or whatever you know, iBuyer offers and then you step in and help them? And if so, how do you do that? I think the agent should do that work for them. So, you know, if, if them is the seller and the seller is in, in these markets, where the, whether it's three or 12 iBuyers that would make an offer before you list, you the agent should go and, and try to get as many as possible and then put them into a, a tool. And for, for lack of a better tool, you'd use a spreadsheet. Right? You just need to understand how to arrange your, your columns and rows and, and pick the right categories to get to this apples to apples and that's basically what we've done with Offer Barn is just create that tool to put in a side-by-side analysis and say, like, these are all the terms. And and the real magic in all of this is, I don't want to say it's uh, like a bait and switch on these iBuyer offers because they do offer market value or at least very close to market value. So these sellers are like, well, if my home's worth 300000 and they're offering me two ninety eight, why wouldn't I just take the two ninety eight? instead of list with you at 300. Well, the problem is that's not the apples to apples. So you need to be able to dig into, well, what are the fees associated with that iBuyer offer? That instant offer doesn't come without a fee. And so those fees are sometimes, and how I'm saying this, most of the time, higher than a traditional commission percentage. So you're like, well, you're actually paying more for the service to take that offer than you would if you listed in a traditional sense. But then, so really what you need that, to look at is what is the seller net, not what is the top line offer. But how do you value the ease of the, the, the frictionless transaction, I mean, if you will? I mean, the, the value – I mean, there's a value to, to not showing your house and, and not mm-hmm. you know, putting the dog in daycare and not you know, brushing, yeah. you know, cleaning the sink every day. Um, so they, yeah, they're, that, that's why an agent needs to be in the middle of it, honestly, because the real honest answer is it depends. It depends on that individual seller situation, right? It may be more difficult for a seller with, you know, young kids at home, not in school and a dog and, you know, the in-laws live there versus, you know, just a couple and they both work. <laughs> right. You know, it just depends. Right. So, you know, how you measure that, you need some real experienced advisor in that situation to say, well, part of that equation is how many times are you going to have it shown? Well, you better know your market data. Like, how many average showings does it take before you go under contract? If we're in a market that's undersupplied and we price it right, you may only have one day of showings and multiple offers. Well, is that a big headache? Can you just go away one afternoon? I'll have an open house. I'll get you three offers next day. Like that's not a big headache. It it truly just depends on the market, the property, and the seller situation. Hey Brad, kind of as we as we kind of fast forward in this market that we're in right now, which still and you know in most price points, it's specifically the uh, you know the buy box for that these iBuyers have uh, the mm-hmm. the the market's still pretty hot. 
if we fast forward to some point in time, and if, and if I knew when that time was, um, you know, I'd be a genius. But what happens when the market shifts and it slows down? What happens to the iBuyers at that point? I, I don't. I don't think it hurts them that much. Honestly, I think uh, the industry's default reaction is like, yeah, this fad's going to fade and it's going to go away, and they're you know going to be irrelevant in a down market or whatever. I, I don't think so. They actually may become more valuable. Um, because you got to think about it from the consumer standpoint, the seller's like, well, now I'm going to be on the market 90 to 180 days or I'll just cut bait and sell now. So these instant offers, the time factor becomes even more valuable in a long days of market type situation. I, I you know, obviously we haven't gone through it and I don't know, but I don't think it's going to be as drastic as people think. I think these iBuyer models, they, they change the paradigm so much that it's not about value. And, and I, I, I'm expecting it to last. What percentage of the market will it be? I'm not sure. Is this just a fallback option for a lot of sellers? Maybe. Um, but I don't see it going away. Just, just to clarify, Brad, you said it's not about value. And I think what you mean is it's not about the end price of the actual product of the actual home sale. You don't mean it's, it's not true. about the value of the service. Yes. It's not about exactly. It's not about okay. the value of the asset. is right. what I should say. It's not, it's not about the property value. It, it's a, it, it it's about a, changing it's about the time. Yeah. Yeah. And hassle factor. So yeah, we know in the industry, like sellers are always trying to solve for three key factors when they're listing and selling their home. They, they want price. Uh, they want speed, time, and they want less friction, less hassle. Well, I buy yourself two of those three instantly. The time and hassle factor is reduced drastically. And they're pretty good on price. So even if they are not good on price in a down market and they lower their offers, they still are solving for two of the three key factors, time and hassle. And without getting into specifics for these uh, these particular iBuyers, what what is the process like after the fact? If if I'm selling my house to an iBuyer and we're mm. we're under contract, is the wh what's the process like right now? Is is it really frictionless? Is it smooth? Yeah, that that is a a misperception. It's not frictionless. It while well, it is maybe less friction, it's not much different once you go under contract with a consumer buyer on the open market. You're still going to have an inspection. The difference is in, in the traditional open market listing, you're going to be able to negotiate through any inspection items that come up with that buyer, whether you're going to fix it, whether you're going to concede on price, or, or they're just going to deal with it. That's a, a usually like a second negotiation in the sales process for a seller. The iBuyers are coming in and still having those same inspections. However, they're non-negotiable. So in that $300,000 offer scenario, you, know, you go under contract with a national iBuyer, they're going to come in and inspect your house, and then they're going to say, look, based on the condition of this and the repairs needed, I need a concession for X amount of dollars. And it's not, well, I, I, I'll negotiate, I'll do part of it. No, it's like you take it or leave it. So it's, it's, more, like man, it's more like working with a HUD asset manager on a foreclosure yep. purchase. Exactly. They're coming in and saying, you know, based on this condition, I'm going to reduce that another 5000 or I need to sell a concession for fifteen grand, depending on the condition of the property. So you're you're trading off that emotional, you know, you know the emotional fraught strife second negotiation process that has likelihood of you know maybe getting through it when all parties agree versus you know coming in you know and and just saying either take it or leave it. Yes, that that is, that is what happens. 
How many fall apart? I mean, and, I, and, I, and this is a, a question yeah. a question from ignorance because I don't have firsthand experience with it. But you know, of every eye buyer that, that you see, how many fall apart at that inspection process? Yeah, so we've been involved in a lot of them, and, and honestly, most of them stay together. Um, they don't fall apart. Some do, um, and it's interesting. We should talk about like who gets the chance for the deal to fall apart. Like who who gets to decide? Um, oftentimes, it's the seller in control. So at any point in time, that seller's going through this process during inspection, prior to that inspection moment or assessment, whatever the iBuyer calls it, or afterwards, anytime prior to closing, that seller can decide, you know what, I'm, I no longer want your instant offer. Take it back. I'm going to go on the market or I'm not going to sell at all. So the seller's in a lot more control, I think, than people realize. You're not trapped into this. Once you say, sure, let's proceed, you still have a way to back out as a seller. So I'm, I'm, I'm working my way through this. So you... Put your house – no, you, you do not put your house in the market. You do the iBuyer thing. You get a contract, and then you can – and then could you put your house in the market to see if you could get better? And then if you get a contract, so that, you could terminate that iBuyer? Now, these iBuyers will have that protection clause. Like if you list on the open market, my offer is no longer valid. So that's usually their like safeguard. Like, hey, we'll agree to these terms, and we'll come and move forward towards closing. But the moment you list it, this offer is null and void. And so we, you can't necessarily list it. But Jig say at any point in time, if you decide to list it, just let us know, and you're out of this contract. So it's pretty fair game in that situation. So both parties are protected. So, so let me, when you say list, are you talking about uh, list on the MLS, or or what, what does what does list mean? Could that be a pocket list? Correct. Yeah, you could. It, it is list on the MLS. Is, so, is is kind of how these buyer offers are written. So it could be it driving towards pocket listings. Yeah, well, and honestly, like this iBuyer situation, that basically is a pocket listing. Like you're going to shop a property to a limited pool of buyers. They just happen to be national brands people recognize. Right. But you're saying that we can continue marketing it quietly as long as we don't put it on an MLS and find a better offer. As long as you don't have a listing agreement signed, you can do whatever you want in that situation. Ah. But it, the iBuyer realized you had a listing agreement signed, and typically you do, especially with the new NAR ruling, where if you have a listing agreement signed, it's got to be in an MLS for the next days. Right. That's usually the trigger step. Right. That, I mean, again, the, the three of us are sitting here trying to work our way through the different scenarios where the seller could benefit you know, the most. Yep. So you've talked a little bit about it, but I'd love to hear kind of as you fast forward five years, uh, how do you see the role of a listing agent and, and even a buyer's agent in 2025? Yeah, I, I do think it's a strategic advisor role. Um, I do think you're going to do more work as an agent up front to, I don't want to say earn the business, but to secure the business. Um, you need to be able to you know, develop a platform and a service that rises above anything that exists today in the industry. And I think that's going to be a dynamic shift to see who can do that, who can make that change, um, because the consumer expectations changing with it. I mean, it basically is like a lot of agents think, well, why would a consumer do that? Well, everyday consumer chooses time and convenience over price. They do it on Amazon. They do it on Netflix. Like they click that button every day. And what's going to stop them from doing it in the real estate industry? Nothing. Nothing's going to stop them. So how does the industry adapt to that is we need to help them understand the difference between a Zillow offer, an open door offer, an offer pad offer, or even 
your own private investor, which is a, a unique thing that we're realizing is if you can generate these seller leads at, at an agent level in an instant offer market, what you've done is you said, I found a seller who is interested in taking less net to solve for time and hassle. Why wouldn't any investor be interested in those opportunities? Why are we leaving it just for these national brands to have those opportunities? Why not grow your own network of local investors? Like, sure, I get you an instant offer from guys in your local market who are just waiting for these opportunities. Brad, what's what's the take on uh, these iBuyers? What's the take on the buyer on the seller having an agent before engaging with the iBuyer? Is this do they frown upon it? Is this something they expect? Do they feel like it makes it easier or? Is it a non-issue? They just adjust their price. Uh, it depends. Again, each each of these national buyers uh, manage it differently. Um, we've seen some that really want to partner with the existing industry, and they even build in like a referral fee in their offers. So, look, look, you don't have to be involved, agent. We'll just send you a referral fee, and we'll handle it from here. And, and so, really, the agent just you know, generates an opportunity, presents it into you know, the platform, property condition form, whatever that hurdle is, and then they can step away and not actually represent the seller and just get a referral fee from these iBuyers. Other iBuyers take the other approach is like, we will not work with that seller unless you show me a listing agreement. So when I say it depends, like it's literally like the wild west right now, there is no set rules to this game. It is just up to the agent to get in front of it understand it all and be able to explain it and advise their seller. I've got, I've got one more question kind of on this, uh, on this topic. And then I want to shift, mm -hmm. shift to a couple other topics. What would you tell an, an agent in a non I buyer market? So like a mid, mid to small yeah. town USA, what, what do you, what would you tell them? Become your own I buyer okay. or build a network of investors to help you offer this service to sellers because I've seen the interest and there's so much demand at the seller consumer level, that if it's not in that market, it's an opportunity for it to be. And why wait on one of these national companies to come there when you can just do this? It is just defining a service, finding some capital to leverage, to help these people move on with their life and save time and hassle. Why not do it yourself? Yeah, that's great. Uh, great feedback. Good insight into that. Yeah, I mean the whole conversation is fascinating, and uh, like, like Jim said, we've we've paid attention to it closely in uh, in a handful of the markets where we operate, um, and definitely see it as a as a sustainable business model um, down the road, and something that we need to integrate. I mean, every every realtor needs to integrate that, especially right now from the baseline, the knowledge into their business, yeah. um, so they can you know become that advisor, like you said. So I've got a uh, I've got kind of Let me hit one uh, I want on one last question, then we will shift. Yeah. yeah. Brad, do you, do you see this evolution uh, as leading to fewer agents in the country? I do, um, simply because change is hard. There's a lot of education to ramp up that we just covered here in a brief conversation. It, it takes a while to fully understand it. you got to be willing to put in the work um, mentally. And then also it's expensive to do. You've got you've got to scale a system to actually – if, if you're that agent in the middle and you got to go collect these offers at all of these different iBuyers websites or portals, like that's time. And that time is money for you, whether you're doing it or you're hiring an admin to do it, the, the scale is greater. So, you know, the hurdle of education and ramping up knowledge and the cost 
to operate in that market are, are both major factors that I think are kind of agents are going to opt out. It's like, you know, it's not for me. Change is hard. Yeah, it is. Change is hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so you've got your hands in, in several different businesses. Um, and I'd, I'd love to ask you this question of, you know, you, you said your brother has a, uh, um, has a craft brewery and that's a, that's a, an industry that we here in Virginia, uh, are very aware of because there's a craft brewery boom in Virginia. And I think in a lot of, a lot of places, everywhere in America, everywhere, uh, everywhere in America. Right. Yeah. Um, and w- so with your hands in real estate brokerage and your hands in, uh, in the beer industry and in the craft beer industry, talk to me about those two industries, real estate and, and craft beer. And what similarities are there? Yeah. Um, I was, people are like, how'd you get involved with craft brewery? I always explain my entry story is, is very simple. I, I like craft beer. Okay. Um, I like starting and growing businesses. I'm, I'm just always been passionate about that back from my Red So conference days. I just get energy from that. And, and I like my brother. So when my brother asked me to start a new craft brewery, I'm like, sure, let's do this. Like, <laughs> Here's my money. So that was a pretty easy entry for me. Um, but what I've learned since then is, um, you know, one, real estate is a service industry and, and beer is a product industry. Um, I love the differences in that. Um, it, it's forced me to, to realize, you know, growing and scaling a product-oriented industry is completely different than the way I would have traditionally uh, tried to grow a real estate business and a service model. But what I've learned is my side hustle influences my main thing a lot um, because there is so much process in place to scale a production side business where you're just making beer, sometimes the same beer over and over again. You're building steps and processes and training and people will have specific roles that do specific things and then it moves to the next station and something else happens in a batch kind of process. I can tell you that has informed the way that I build my real estate model and team structure so much that uh, I can't express the amount of value I've gotten from doing both. I'm, I'm going to email you a link to a podcast we did last year, late last year, mm-hmm. with a three-notch brewery. I think that there might, might be some uh, some parallels there as well because it, it it's fascinating okay. how how craft breweries, you know, brokerages like ours have it also have a similar vein of of you know an inherent need and desire to be part of the community. Um, yeah, 100% agree. It, it is that I think it's just the society's desire as a whole to live local, you know, to you know, you know, farm to table food or, you know, eat, drink, shop, live, play, work. Everything's hyper local. Right. And beer scratches that itch in all ways. It, it creates a third place at, at a physical brewery for the community to gather. Uh, so it's not home. It's not work. It's this third community where you can come together. Uh, in an analog way, not, not in Facebook, <laughs> right? you know, not in this digital setting, but like really face to face and have conversations over a beer that are meaningful and move society and community forward. I love being a part of that. And you're right. Real estate is that it's about placemaking. It's about community building and, and they do overlap nicely. So do you have taps of reformation in, in path and post? No, we have, we have a fridge full of cans though. <laughs> <laughs> And then we have uh, at several events a year at one of the tasting rooms. So Reformation, uh, we actually, Reformation just opened its third local tasting room. So we have three local cities. So um, Pat and Post has, has visited two of them and, and can't wait to go visit the third one that just opened. You, you should have two handles, one for Path and one for Post at every one of your... Uh... Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I like it. I'll, I'll call my brother next. <laughs> Could be a great duel. Which is better, Path or Post? <laughs> 
So let's uh, let let's dive back into the past a little bit. So uh, real quickly, and this maybe may not be quick, but tell me about the um, the impetus for starting Retso, and have you had oh. people continue to ask you? Is Retso coming back? Because I know that that uh, yeah. I mean, the three it, look, around this table would love to get look, back to Atlanta. Admittedly, for you know, you, you know this, right? There's there's challenges with uh, with industry in, uh, uh, um, conferences, um, and sometimes yeah. they're either, they're either just too big or they're or they're too small. And I think that you had found um, something that was the right size that it brought the great content in, it brought great people in, and it was, I mean, really formative for us right. as, as a brand from from networking yeah. to content right we got to meet we met you um and, and tons of other people that have helped to to shape our business and helped shape our agents business so um you know I, you know i know this is a long-winded uh question but the, the, i'd love to hear once again like the impetus for starting it and is there a is there a possibility yeah. that it comes back at some point in the future just yeah, an alumni so, show uh, I, I get that i get that every year several times a year when are you going to do it again? We got to have a reunion or whatever. I, I do get that. And I appreciate that. And, and I want that personally. I, I, I feel a need for it. Um, given all the things I've already talked about, I don't, I can't do it physically right now. Um, but yeah, maybe someday, I don't want to say never. Um, Red so is done for now, maybe not forever. Um, but to answer your other question, how did, how did it start? Um, very similarly, like, I felt the same way you described it. Like there are these big national conferences that are more corporate feeling. And then there's these really podunk local, you know, association level type stuff. That, you know, there was no sweet spot. I, I wanted it. I mean, I built Retso for me in a selfish way. <laughs> like I, I was an operator, uh, you know, independent like, trying to grow. And I was like, yeah, how do I connect these people? Like, well, why don't we just invite them to Atlanta and talk? And it was really organic and reaching out of like, you know, would you come to Atlanta if I set up a hotel and a date? And they're like, sure. And, and I, I love that it was very organic. It was very honest. Um, there was, it wasn't made for a business model. It was, it was made to meet a need. And I think from that, the relationships and the, and the community, um, you know, through those conferences, like I still have relationships today that are super valuable, whether it's with you guys or, or, you know, like, the Greer Allens of Boomtown or, or even Dot Loop. Dot Loop launched out of Red So. Their initial public debut was at our conference and what well, they went on and got acquired by Zillow. And, you know, I still love the Allison guys to stay in contact with those guys. And just tremendous stories that came out of those moments, um, whether it's a, a vendor or a brokerage like you guys that are you know, growing and innovating. I, it, I just love the community that Red So created. And sure, because of that, I'd like to experience it again someday. I just don't know when. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Kudos for uh, for for getting it started. And we understand uh, the need to have it rest for a little while, but hopefully it wakes we'll, back up at some point. We'll buy twenty tickets and and bring a bunch of lead brokers when you're ready to relaunch. Yeah, but, right, that sounds good, man. We we should talk about it. I love it. But Brad, you know, I mean, again, to to hit the final point on Retso, the fact that you built something and 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 experienced it was and is memorable is something that's, that's just phenomenal. So, I mean, I think that's, that's a, it was just an incredible thing that you did. And, uh, you know, I think the, everyone listening who, who, who experienced that is grateful for what you did. So a bladed wow. and repeated. Thank you. Yeah. And I'll chime in with one more thing on this. You know, one thing that we think about all the time as a brokerage, and you probably think this way too, um, is if, if, 
if we if if Nest Realty went away, would people miss it? And that kind of that's yeah. part of the thing that drives us that we want to continue to innovate and get better and provide amazing service that you know, this is not going to happen. But if Nest Realty goes away, people will be like, oh, man, remember when, you know, remember how yeah. amazing Nest Realty was? And that's, that's you know, I'll piggyback off what Jim's comment. Like, you, you clearly did something that you built something that it went away. And people, how many how many years ago was it? I mean, stopped. Stopped. No. you probably stopped seven or eight years ago. Yeah. 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 It's about seven years ago. Se- seven years that. and people are still, you know, yearning for it. Yeah. Right? So anyways, so that, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a lesson for all of us in, in the business, whether you're a realtor or whether you're a brokerage or whether you're a craft brewery or whether you're a conference that, you know, you build a business that with, with the thought that if you, if you took it away and you, and you shut it down or it went away, that people would truly miss it. Then, you know, you've got, you know, raving fans and you know, you've got something that's different. So, um, anyways, last comment about that. So I've got you know one more question to wrap up. The name of this podcast is Sweat the Details, and at Nest, there's a lot of details that we sweat, and clearly there's a lot of details that you're sweating and on multiple fronts. Um, but when you wake up every day, what's that one detail that you're sweating on a regular basis? Um, it's usually process. If, if I'm going to sweat a detail, uh, what what can I do to to move it is, is, is my process right? Does it need to change? What can I improve about it? I, I focus so much on the process. I think a lot of businesses in any industry, um, they begin with a product or they begin with a person, they begin, you know, with something. And and then later on, as it grows and succeeds, then they're like, Oh, I need a process around how I do this because you know, the scale doesn't work and it falls apart and it gets wonky when you add more people or hires or whatever. And I firmly believe that you can just start with the process first and then layer on top of that. Uh, the success is is built in and you have a solid foundation to support that. And so I, I constantly worry, like, you know, is my process right? How can we improve our process in any industry, in any business that I'm working on? It's like, is this the right process? what has changed today in a consumer mindset or an employee mindset or an independent contractor mindset that's connected to these processes that our companies have delivered and do they need to change? Do they need to improve? That's great. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, process, I mean, it matters, it matters from a, from an efficiency standpoint and, ex- and execution. And, um, yeah, I think that that's a, that's a wrap for me. Keith. You know, honestly, Brad, I think I my first introduction to you was at Retso with these guys, and they had known you before we got down there, and I was excited as soon as I met you and as soon as we saw what you were doing down there. And um, hearing now with Offer Barn, I, uh, I'm i amazed at, at what you've come up with over the years and look forward to continuing to watch this stuff grow. This is, this is good stuff. Well, I, I appreciate it, guys. I love hanging out with you guys. It's such a joy to connect with people like you. Yeah, it's authentic. It's real. You guys are doing great things. You're moving the industry forward with this podcast and, and with Nest. And I just appreciate your contributions to the community itself. So thanks for having me be a part of your show. Awesome. We'll do it again. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it. Look, look forward to it. Two things we're asking for this time. We would love your feedback. If you are interested, please record a comment or response and email it to us at sweatthedetails at nestrealty.com. Sweatthedetails at nestrealty.com and your reviews. We would welcome your ratings and reviews wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, we are shaking up the scheduling a little bit. 
We're going to keep our every other Tuesday release schedule for the interviews, but we're going to shift the conversations with the three of us, Jonathan, Keith, and myself, to the third Thursday of every month. 